The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Linya Patel. In today's episode, I'm talking to a dietitian who works in research, Dr. Michelle Harvey, who is the Principal Research Dietitian at Manchester Foundation Trust. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because we're both dietitians and um, you are also uh, leading researchers. So you're a real inspiration in the nutrition research world. So I'm just really looking forward to learning more about what you do. Um, So let's start off. And um, to kick off, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're based at the moment and what's your current role? So it's thanks for inviting me. It's a great privilege to talk about our research. And it's nice that someone's interested because sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, but we'll come on to that in, in a bit. Um, so I'm a, a research dietitian. I'm quite um, lucky or unusual in that all of my role is, is doing research okay. into, into diet. And I've been doing um, research full-time for about 21 years yeah and you know that's you know a very varied um role it's actually I'm based in Manchester at the at Withenshaw Hospital okay which is now part of Manchester uh, University Foundation Trust and I'm based in a building called the Nightingale Centre which is and the the Breast Cancer Prevention Centre so most of my work up until I did the MIDAS study which we're going to talk about in a bit um, has been around whether we can use diet and weight loss to help um, reduce women's risk of breast cancer and also help them to manage um, breast cancer if they're going through through treatment. So most of my research over the last 20 years has been um, based in the breast cancer unit mm-hmm. there. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's quite a unique role to be doing 100%. It sounds like a fascinating role and you're doing such important stuff. So um, what made you go into research? My first degree was actually um, biochemistry. Okay. which I did in Manchester or in the late 80s. And that was, you know, very interesting, but it was very lab-based and, and I realised I wanted to do something with people. So then I did a postgraduate and in Leeds and became a dietitian back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. if anybody remembers that, possibly not that many on this call. And um, I did a postgraduate in Leeds and then I was lucky enough to get a really nice, varied, basic grade role at Manchester Royal Infirmary, which is actually the trust I'm still at, uh, funnily enough, just I'm on a different site. And I worked as a dietitian, a clinical dietitian for um, for four years. And I, I actually, within two years, I became a band seven. Those are in the days when you could become a band seven because you were just a sort of specialist dietitian covering gastro and, and intensive care and all, all the way along that and all the way through my dietetic training I've always been you know, fascinated by how we can obviously as dietitians hopefully are how we can change people's diets to improve their, their health but I realized a lot of the, of the things we were advising a lot of the questions were coming up weren't really that well researched mm. and so there's a massive gap in so we, we were we were doing 
quite often advising things that were not necessarily that well couched in mm. in good evidence, which was a problem to me. But also I realized that, you know, there is so much misinformation out there. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to, there was a PhD that was advertised back in 95, uh, which was looking at diet and cancer. And I, I applied and I got it. And mm-hmm. um, I've never looked, never back looked since. back. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, I'm curious to find out what does a day in the life of a research dietitian look like? Okay. So it's varied. Yeah. It can be very long. <laughs> uh, it's often very long because it's very open-ended. So, uh, so there can be some days where, um, because I'm now quite, quite senior and I lead a team. So I guess I've got some sort of, you know, supervision managerial mm-hmm. responsibilities which comes with most most roles doesn't it these days I also always make a point of when we're when we're running clinical research trials we do work with people so we're doing yeah. you know research studies which involve asking people to try different diets and then mm-hmm. see what see whether they can do them and see what happens so I always make a point that I don't personally see all the patients in a trial but I always make a point that I have a small number of the patients myself just so I I don't lose touch okay so you're still clinically clinically exactly so my clinical practice is always within so important in research oh my goodness it gives you that added insight that I feel sometimes within academia if it's just academic misses totally totally and so you get the ideas of what where the problems are but then you also realize that perhaps the fantastic diet or behavioral intervention you thought was going to be really whizzy and and solve everyone's problems perhaps doesn't quite work as well particularly when you get that first-hand feedback from from patients so I always have a role with with patients in fact after the thing today I'm going to be doing some calls with some of the ladies who are in one of our low calorie diet diet studies Um, and then there's a lot of time where we I can spend um, you know trying to get get grant funding so we're obviously reading lots of literature trying to develop a research proposal and writing protocols writing research up doing analysis doing stats um going to present at conferences conference yeah yeah there's a huge amount of that there's a lot of um like with most roles these days there's a lot more bureaucracy and things now so there's a lot of paperwork we need to fill in yeah I'm the, sure especially you know. if you're running studies that involve um, um, human patients exactly well. yeah. exactly yeah. yeah well when I was um, reading about some of the publications that you've done I see you're famous for the two-day diet what can you tell us a little bit more about that my sort of first research was looking at how we might reduce women's risk of breast cancer and back in um, 2000 and six or 2005 actually um we were one of the first groups to show that if a woman could lose even just five percent of her weight or or more mm. then that would severely reduce her risk of breast cancer because we know that sorry I should have said that weight being overweight and gaining weight increases risk and then mm. and so the advice up to that point was was people shouldn't gain weight yeah. as they go through adult life which I thought well that's good advice of course but how does that help you know the 60 percent of women who are already overweight who you know are it's they, hard. is yeah. it is it is there something is it reversible is there something they can do so anyway we did a big piece of work uh with some some researchers in America 
which was uh, the, the women were in this something called the Iowa Women's Health Study, we were able to show that we had measurements of their weight over years and whether they'd gone up or down and whether they got breast cancer. So we were able to show from that piece of work that we published in 2005 that if women could lose 5% of their weight, it would reduce their breast cancer by anything between 25 and 40%, at which point my 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 boss my supervisor who's a professor of medical oncology was running dancing around the office that's kind of how he is going this is fantastic Michelle you've cracked it and I said hang on a minute hang on a minute can I just stop you there it's good that we know what we're aiming to do but actually trying to get people to lose weight is really hard and trying to get a maintained weight loss of even five percent which when you think about it actually isn't very much is it it's five Mm. kilos if you weigh 100 kilos and so I said, I think we need to think about how we might get make dieting more easy for people to do, more yeah. effective. Anyway, so at the same time, so the idea was whether, you know, there was some interesting work in in, in lab rats, not that we'd done, but that I was able to, to, to read about, where it looked like if you calorie restricted a mouse for small periods in the week, just one or two days rather than yeah. over the whole week, then you would actually be reducing um, their risk of cancer more than if you did a daily restriction. And then I thought well, it might be easier for people to do. So we we developed the, the two-day diet in 2006. And I think the rest is kind of history. It's incredible. Uh, and and I, I work in obesity as well. And the idea of telling people actually for two days is where you're going to have to, I mean, it's not about feast and famine, but it's still trying to eat more healthily on the other days, but actually only really creating that big calorie deficit on the two days feels so much more manageable for so many people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not for everybody, but I think it's another great tool in the toolbox. It's not the pan, you know, it's not a panacea. It's not universally better than everything else, but it's just another tool, and it yeah. and it really can work. Yeah, yeah. And when you say it's not for everybody, who is it not for? So, um, so at the moment, I mean, and we can talk about this. So we're actually doing some work, seeing whether um, the two day diet could actually help women who have got gestational diabetes during pregnancy, oh. which is mm. quite uh, quite a step forward because obviously we um, that trial is, is, is hopefully going to start in a few months' time. And we're really pleased we've got money from the NIHR to do this feasibility study, which is looking at really whether women, pregnant women can do it mm. um, with pregnant women with gestational diabetes can do the diet and also whether it's safe because, of yeah. course, there are concerns about ketones and and uh etc you know in in pregnant women so so we're doing that so at the moment you know we wouldn't advocate the diet for yeah yeah um uh, um people i guess with a history of eating disorders or with current eating disorders it's probably not a good idea although interestingly most research that's that's been done in sort of intermittent diets actually shows that you know of course when people lose weight they tend to have less um, issues with with eating disorders. So I don't think it, there's no evidence that these diets trigger um, those behaviours. But I guess if somebody's got that problem, then yeah. it's probably not a, a yeah. good idea. Um, again, there's been some work with, with adolescents, um, which we've not done, but again, that probably needs supervision. But that that again has proven to be you know, adolescents with obesity, yeah. so that's proven to be to be safe. I guess you would, you know, at the moment the diet is is very much a tool for weight loss. Yeah. Um, and and there are certain groups who are on certain medications 
Uh, it's even been used in renal patients, I think. But of course, with all these things, and we're doing some work in type 1 diabetes, that you need to manage the patients with their no, clinical totally. team with the medicines yeah. and stuff. So it's not a... Uh, I think that people can just run away and do. No, yeah. absolutely. We've touched on um, type 2 di- or diabetes. You talked about gestational diabetes. And I um, recently read um, a publication that you did. And I think I'm, I hope I'm saying it right. The MIDAS study. Yeah, the you can tell me, Yeah, well, well, exactly. You can tell me what it actually stands for. And that, that was looking at weight loss in type 2 diabetic patients. And I know one group was given a very low calorie restricted mm-hmm. diet and the other was doing the 5-2 or the two-day uh, yes. diet. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit more about this re- with this research yeah so yeah so the MIDAS study or the MIDAS study uh now let me see if I can remember what the acronym stands for Manchester Intermittent Diabetes Diet App Study Study. Ah, because it was linked okay fantastic yeah so okay so that's a very big mouthful so what on earth was it about so we actually started the study um in 2008 18 mm-hmm. um and we were we were really pleased we got funding from um nestle health sciences and aviva at the time we were very aware of all the really really motivating and interesting work that's come out of things like the direct study mm. um and the droplet study Diabetes you know with low emotion. calorie yeah. diets and low calorie diets is you know you take someone away from their normal food you ask them to follow typically a formula-based diet for anything between 12 and 20 weeks, um, you know, 850 calories, they lose, you know, lots of weight. And the direct study, what, 50% of patients were losing 10% of their weight out to out to a year. And, you know, about half of them were going into diabetes remission. Mm. So this is great. And of course, because of these really compelling results, these diets are being rolled out um, in the NHS as a low-calorie mm. diet pilot Mm. program going on across the country and that's all fantastic but we you know like all these things we sort of wondered well is there a a bit like the the 5-2 diet is there another way of you know because that diet is going to work for some people but not Mm. everyone's going to be able to do it or want to do it yeah you know from a from a just a lifestyle point of view so we wondered if there was a different way of doing it not necessarily that would be better but just might have a bigger reach Mm. Um, because actually if you look at the direct study you know only about 20 percent of people uh, agreed to join the study Um, so that's a lot of people who didn't want to do it and and actually if you look at the low calorie diet pilot study it looks like you know the conversion rate from people being asked to joining the diet is certainly way less than 50 percent so um there's a lot of people that it's quite overwhelming right the uh, low calorie diet so we we wondered if if again we could do the intermittent thing so rather than doing um in our case we had eight weeks of very low calorie diet or sorry low calorie diet they were asked to do two days of the optifast uh a week for 28 weeks so it's the same number of low calorie days just spread over a different a longer period and so we wanted, and then we followed them up, um, both groups up to a year. And we published it, as you say, earlier this year. Um, the actual, the final study finished just before the pandemic. So we were oh. able to get the final patients through and the measurements done. So this is kind of pre-pandemic. And they were remotely supported by the um, the dietitians, um, gave individual support to the patients using the Aviva app. No, it's great. So at the end of the study, uh, we were able to show that the intermittent and the continuous version of a low-calorie 
diet actually were very similar in terms of weight loss. Okay. Um, but there seems to be maybe a suggestion, but it's quite small numbers, so we can't over uh, state it. But it may be that the continuous is maybe better at putting people into remission. And so we're doing some work now trying to see how we can make the intermittent diet perhaps a bit more effective yeah um, and maybe more of how you use it in the long term as well maybe yes yeah mm. I mean this is it both groups you know so by the time we got to the end of the eight well actually it was eight weeks of, of low calorie diet and four weeks of food reduction by the time we got to 12 weeks in the low in the continuous daily diet group that was their lowest weight loss they lost about 10 percent whereas the intermittent dieters got to their lowest weight at 28 weeks but both groups then regained some weight which is the way it goes isn't it yeah um, you know yeah. that's the problem yeah yeah no absolutely yeah. so I guess what's on your next uh, what's on your list in terms of uh, the next research projects that you've got um, up your sleeve yeah so it's so a building on the Midas which was you know a very very interesting study so um so I say that has, that has highlighted that intermittent diets are certainly safe. People can do them. Um, but one of the problems is that they just can't, like most things, people can do it for about six months. But then in the last um, six months of the study, they were only doing about a, a, a quarter of their low calorie days. So there's a real, so we, we, we want to do some more work on, on how we can maintain people on low calorie diets and weight loss maintenance massive issue and in terms of diabetes remission we're doing some we're planning to do some research trying to make the the intermittent diet the 5-2 diet um you know more effective um and and hoping to sort of match some of the results that you'll get with with you know like the direct study the 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 daily the daily diet i've already mentioned that the the gestational diabetes work and we've got a study in type in type one diabetes so those are the main things we're very interested in yeah finding alternative not there's anything wrong with the 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 standard low calorie diet rollout program that's that's going to work for certain uh, a certain proportion of the population but we're trying to find alternative ways yeah and I love that Michelle I think what stands out is because you're a clinician you've got that practical dietitian hat on at the same time right so you're asking the Mm. questions as a researcher but you're also thinking hold on how are people actually going to implement this in real life and I know a lot of the listeners listening to this podcast there might be some dietitians NHS dietitians or other dietitians who are working in the field of type 2 diabetes yes so I mean practically is um, offering a low calorie restricted diet or the 5-2 diet going to work for everybody? Um, and what would your words of advice be to somebody who's working in uh, type 2 diabetes in terms of what to offer their patients? Yeah, so I think I think either approach could be used. I mean, although our, our MIDAS study was published this year, it is a feasibility study. So we've not, uh, when you do research, you realise that you you have an idea for a, a research question. You do. You need to do a sort of smaller study to show mm-hmm. the feasibility. So it's not definitive proof that yeah. would be enough to put it in nice guidance, for yeah. example. Yeah. And that will require a bigger study, which is, I guess, where we're going, where we're going next, uh, or trying to go next, because we'll have to apply for funding. So that would be, to be honest, by the time we get, by the time we've applied for funding, done that research, you're probably talking about another, you know six seven years before that that has the level of evidence that you'd require for mm. for nice guidance but anyway in the meantime yes so we certainly know that the the, 
the standard low, you know, daily low calorie diets that are being used in the low calorie diet rollout, they really do work for a lot of a lot of people. And I think there is a lot of uh, although the evidence is there, I think there's a lot of concern amongst some dietitians that it seems a bit drastic. People have this concern that if people lose weight quickly, it's not good and that uh, they're going to put it all back on again. And that's really not the case. In fact, it's the reverse. Often if people lose a lot of weight quickly um, with these low calorie diets, with proper supervision, obviously from a dietitian, um, they generally maintain their weight loss better than people who do the, the slower, slower approach. Yeah, I guess it's maybe that motivation as well. I think so. And then there's yeah. just looking at then the support so it kind of stays off and the long-term yeah, so you need, of it. Yeah. That's right. You need you need ongoing support. So if you just if you just support people through the low calorie diet period, that's a problem. So they need, you know, and and the low calorie diet program is is around supporting them through the the low calorie diet bit, which is almost the easiest bit, to be mm. honest. Mm. And then um, and then it's the maintenance, getting them back onto food and the maintenance phase where they really need the support. But people could try the the intermittent diet. But I think there's a lot of, and I can understand it. I think we're all, we're all dietitians, very interested in food and we want people on healthy, healthy diets. And we have this sort of concern about putting people on formulas but I think sometimes people just need to have get away from food yeah and uh, and and you know the evidence shows that generally formula diets versus food-based do tend to be more effective obviously long term oh, that's interesting because um yeah I mean what are your thoughts about the importance of gut health particularly in the long term yeah so I guess if it's food in my mind as a dietitian then you're yes. going to get more phytonutrients in terms of gut health and the importance of that yes um perhaps that's a benefit I don't know yeah, no, that's a really good. Maybe point. you need and, to do more research on that. No, no, and, and actually, that is that is an issue with the formula. So when we do low, the low calorie diets with the eight hundred fifty diets, what we actually do is we do three of the formula products, and and then we actually have them having about eight portions of vegetables. Oh, great. so they're getting okay. non-starchy vegetables. We do, okay. yeah. So a lot of people just do four you know, four lots of formula diet, don't they, to get their 800 feet. But we, a quarter of their calories, we actually, they get from non-starch. And okay. that's really good because it really gets them in the groove of having vegetables. And that just persists. We haven't actually looked at the gut microbiome, but that is one of my concerns with formula diets. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely um, an area where we need more research anyway, to see the, the role and the importance and definitely. how we can optimize that, yes. um, particularly for type 2 diabetes, because we know that their gut microbiome is slightly different yeah, yeah. anyway. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, so lots of research projects for you to get involved in, Michelle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, tell me, what is your favorite part of the job? <sighs> That's that's a tricky question. So I could probably tell you what my <laughs> the least, least favorite. favorite. That's or, probably, or maybe tell me what the challenges no, no. are as well. No, well, I will. Okay, let's let's come on to the favorites. Do you know? So we've we've obviously just had two. Well, we are. Are we come out of the pandemic? I'm not quite sure. But anyway, we've had two years where I've been doing what I'm doing to you, just sitting on my computer and talking to people remotely. And actually, I got to. I was presenting at a conference in Newcastle a couple of mm. weeks ago with a lot of my peers. So um, going to talking to talking about research, which is why this is such a delight this morning, talking about our research, talking to like-minded people, people who are interested, talking to other researchers, bouncing off ideas, you know, seeing the results mm. out there. That's fantastic. And that was such a buzz. I came back from that really, um, really motivated. And also working with patients in trials and and I guess most dietitians perhaps won't have had that that privilege and that that 
you know that experience but you know quite often in dietetics you've got you know a very limited period of time you might see somebody once you give them advice they go off just no idea what happens and in research depending on the type of read but generally in our research we we give advice we follow them up we get to see we get to see all the you know sometimes following up sometimes (laughs) It's particularly weight loss isn't such a good idea, but um, you get to see what happens to their blood results. You get to see a whole and their psychological profile. So you really get to know patients like, you know, personally mm. and, you know, biologically as well. Mm. Mm. And that's really interesting. And then you put all that data together and you, then you get your findings. So that that's great. Um, I guess the thing with, yeah, the, what is challenging about research is it is hard. Yeah. You know, you get a lot of, Sometimes everybody thinks your ideas, are, well, sometimes people think your ideas are great, but quite often you get a lot of knockbacks. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll write a really nice grant application, you'll send it off and it, it will get rejected. And grant applications can take, you know, six months to put together. Yeah. And, and then, you know, a year, you know, you have to wait a year for the, the result and then you get, you get a knockback. You know, you can write a paper for a journal and it can yeah. get get rejected or criticized there's a lot of there's a lot of criticism you have to take take yeah um and quite often you you take criticism but you don't have a chance to respond to it so that's quite yeah. quite frustrating yeah um and there's a lot of yeah I think just the like everything everything's become way more bureaucratic yeah. so there's a lot of an awful lot of paperwork and stuff we need to yeah no fantastic insight thank you and and we're going to wrap up and before we wrap up um i would love it if you could give some helpful hints um for any of our listeners dietitians and maybe student dietitians who are wanting to go into research what would your top tips be for them yeah so well it's yeah do it, it, it it's a great thing to do now there's lots of you know there's much more interest in in clinical academics mm. and so there are lots of really great schemes if you look on the you know the BDA has information about this the NIHR has information about um, different um, funding streams for dietitians to do and particularly like split posts that are clinical and academic so yeah. that's really great and there are lots of opportunities to do sort of like there's pre-doc programs and then you um, then you're building up there's some master's programs building up to sort of do PhDs so that's that's really great um, dietitians need good dietetic research needs to be within a multidisciplinary team yeah so dietitians depending on what it is but I would say on the whole my you know my um ability to do research has been because I've been in a fantastic well two fantastic teams firstly the oncology team so I work with oncologists I work with geneticists I work with the nurses I work with pharmacists and now you know the diabetes team so you have to be part of a multidisciplinary team and you can all learn from each other other. so I think that's really really important and yeah it's it's just fascinating and you just yeah you've no idea what's going to come definitely we definitely need more dietitian and clinicians in research that's for sure Michelle thank you so much for your time I knew it was going to be a fantastic conversation and absolutely was so thank you very much for coming onto the podcast you're welcome thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition if you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes.